welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. You know, uh, thank you, Luke, so much. Uh, it was creative, a creative introduction. Uh, introductions are like perfume. They're meant to be sniffed at, not to be swallowed. And so there you go. There you go. It's been good already being with uh, your church and good to be with you. Uh, I, I love talking to students and have for many years, and I'm glad I have a few to talk to uh, as well, as well as the rest of us here. I would like to, uh, to share from James chapter 1. Would you open your Bible to James chapter 1? I'm not sure that I have... Uh, preached uh, as a guest speaker a sermon from James 1 before or on this topic before. And uh, I brought three other messages with me in hopes that the Lord would give me some liberty to preach one of them uh, because they make more sense to me. But uh, I'm here to share with you from James 1. And I, I pray and hope that it will be a blessing uh, to you. You see, the problem with this passage is that uh, its truth is, rests in a difficult, unsavory, uh, unhappy passage of Scripture. Oh, I, we typically don't want to talk about uh, this. And yet, uh, the Lord has given us so much to consider from this, and we all experience it. So my prayer, my hope, is that it will be a blessing for you today. You see, the passage is about something that I do, something that you do. We all have done this. We all will do this, and that is the passage is about suffering. Now, sometimes uh, students might say, well, you know, when I'm old, I'll worry about that. I, I can understand that. But do you ever have to suffer with a teacher, with parents, brother, sister, uh, rejection, disappointment? Yeah, you've been there. You understand what suffering is about. And for the rest of us, we understand that suffering can be emotional, it can be spiritual, and it can be physical. Individuals, as believers, go through periods of suffering. But not just individuals, families do as well. Uh, our family is certain going, certainly going through a very difficult time right now. Uh, one of my sons, I have three sons, uh, two are pastors in Phoenix, and one is a uh, licensed counselor in Prescott, and that's about 90 miles north of Phoenix. And that one was taken to the hospital very unexpectedly uh, last uh, Thursday. And um, we really just don't know exactly what is going on, but that it's not good. And as a family, we understand what it's like to go through a period of suffering uh, right now. Churches can as well. And as a church would go into a transition period, and uh, you would uh, be without that 
that pace setter leader. It can be a difficult time. And so churches can go through periods of, of suffering, and, and in other ways you can. So I think this is going to apply to all of us in one way or the other. It says this in James chapter 1, verse number 2. Now, one other thing before I get started. I am not going to do anything uh, fancy with this passage. What I'm going to do is just take the words, word by word by word, and seek to understand it, why the Lord used it to convey a particular message that he did for us. So it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We start out with the word called, uh, the word that is count, to count something. And the way it's written in the New Testament is we count and we're told to continue to do it. It's a command. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing to a group of Christians who are in the process of going through suffering, and uh, they, they are running for their lives. They have lost their home. They're, they have lost their, their uh, employment, uh, many times their families. They're running for their lives from persecution, and so they understand what he's talking about. He's speaking to where they live and to where we live. And he says, now count this. To uh, counting gives us the idea of putting something in the positive ledger or the negative ledger, uh, a, a credit or debit, if if you would. We are to look at these issues in our lives and decide whether or not it should be a positive thing or it is indeed a negative thing, as we have been suspecting. So it says, count it. All joy, unadulterated joy, my brothers. The word joy is not the same as happy. Uh, happiness depends upon what's happening. It's circumstantial. We like happiness. Don't worry, be happy. We got songs about it, even. And, uh, you know, we want to be happy, and there's nothing wrong with being happy. This is not happy. This is joy. And joy is something that is deep down in you. It's a, it's a settledness. It's the understanding that you're not in this alone, that you're not by yourself, that the Lord is at work in you. That's, that's the idea, that you're okay, you're satisfied, or peace, you're at peace. So he says... Count it all joy, my brothers. And this is written to Christians. It's not written to people who have not yet come to Christ. And I recognize that it may well be that some of you have not yet come to Christ. We pray that you will. It's the most important decision you will ever make in life. It will change not only this life, but eternity as well. To come to Christ means to repent, to turn from the life that you have lived, and to turn to, in faith, 
Christ believing that he died on the cross for you. It is repentance and faith. So he's talking now to those of us who have already received Christ. It is a word for us. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Let's pick out the word trial now for a moment and make sure we have an idea of what we're talking about here. There are all kinds of trials that you face in life. There is emotional trials. There is depression, discouragement, sadness. You know, uh, uh, mental suffering can be some of the most painful suffering that you do. And there are those of you here today, no doubt, that struggle with, for example, depression. He's talking about that. He's talking about any kind of mental, emotional suffering that we might be doing. And also spiritual suffering. It may be that you're in a time in which you just cannot seem to hear from the Lord. It's a time of of blankness, of uh, you, you don't want to read the word. Going to church is not something you really want to do. It's a, a land of dryness that you're in. You're finding it easy to rebel against God. Uh, even things that you once thought had been handled and you weren't going to be doing them anymore, you've been tempted in that way again. There is spiritual suffering. And, of course, physical suffering. Uh, some time ago, I fell down the stairs uh, in our home. I was reading a book, walking downstairs. Don't read a book and walk downstairs. You know, it's really not good. And I was reading a book, fell down the stairs, and broke two bones in my back. So, uh, you know, it, it, it can be that kind of suffering from an accident, an illness, or whatever. We all understand what it means to face suffering, grief, disappointment, financial suffering, all kinds of suffering that we go through. So it says, count it all joy when you meet trials. You notice that the word is when, not if. The word here is not if. I want if. Uh, at times, you know, it might happen, but probably not happen. Yeah, that's not the way it is. The word is when, not if. So, he's writing to Christians. He's saying that when you meet a time of trial, a time in which you recognize that you are hurting, you're suffering, count that not as happiness. That'd be weird. Don't count it as happiness, but count it instead as joy, as you knowing God is at work in your peace. You're at peace with it. Let's go on with the passage and see why this is necessary. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You know that the testing of your faith, to know. You know, uh, we have one word, to know something. But the language of the New Testament has four or five, actually two families of words. One is, I know it because I have been taught it. I've been told it. 
Uh, it's not experiential necessarily. It is just information I've been given. I know that Abraham Lincoln was the president during the Civil War. Now, understand, I didn't actually know him in person. We never actually had a conversation. But instead, I know it because I have read it, been taught it. I recognize it that indeed he, is, he was the president. On the other hand, I know that Frazier Newkirk was my dad. I know it because he told me, my mother told me, but beyond that, I experienced that, that fathering. I had a wonderful father, and I, I had the joy of having that kind of dad, no question in my mind, experientially, that I had a wonderful father. This passage says, you know this. If you'll take a minute to look back in your life, you know this. If you will take time to analyze what God has done in your life in the past, you will see that he indeed has the power to do what we're about to read uh, again and again. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, we're really getting to the heart of what this passage is talking about. The testing of your faith. Maybe your version says the trying of your faith. The idea here is uh, in the part of the country that I live in, in Arizona, there are a lot of silver mines in the mountains. And Silver comes from the ground as rough ore. It doesn't come like a shiny, silvery-looking thing. No, it comes from the ground as rough ore. And it's mixed in with the other parts of the rock. Then that rock is taken away and it's put into a, uh, a furnace. And that furnace is superheated, and the heat from the furnace drives away the impurities, burns them up, so that the pure silver remains. The hotter the fire, as a matter of fact, the purer the silver is. That's the picture that we have of the heat of adversity in the Christian life. This is how God would have it work. The greater the suffering, the greater the faith that can be produced by it. Now, let me point out here, you might choose not to deal with things in faith. You might decide that God is not fair to let this happen to you, or that why didn't he protect you from it? Or why hasn't he taken you out of it? You may decide that you're not going to trust God in it. That will get you nowhere, but you can choose that, you see. Uh, but for those who choose to trust God in it, there is a different kind of result that's going to happen. Now, what is the result he's talking about for the trying, the testing of your faith, the superheating of your faith, the super pressure of the trial causes something 
to happen as the believer chooses not to waste their pain, but instead to trust God with it. Now, what is it that he says he will do? What he says he will do is produce something called steadfastness. Or maybe your version says persistence. The old King James Version used to say, the, uh, and still does, uh, patience. It produces patience. But that's really not our idea of patience. Instead, we're persistent, a persistent faith, a steadfast faith. Here's the idea. That as I go into a period of personal suffering, of hurting, or as a family, as you do, as a church, as you do, as you enter into this time, this painful time of your experience of your life, you choose not to turn away from the Lord in it, but instead that you choose to turn to him in it. You choose to believe that he's still there. Uh, The attribute of God, God's sovereignty. God is in control of everything, even the pain that you're experiencing. God is love, perfect love, never-ending love. And this love of God and sovereignty of God are meeting together right at the point of your pain. It's still there. God is still sovereign, even if you're hurting. He is completely loving, even if you're still hurting, you see. And as you come to the place in which you say, I'm going to trust you, God, with this. I am not going to let you go, Lord. I'm not going to turn my back on you. I will trust you, Lord, in the midst of this pain. Then God does a work in our character to give us one of the most precious things he can give us, and that is steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Steadfastness is a quality of faith in which we continue to trust God through the trial. We go through the trial believing that God is with us and he will not forsake us. As a Christian enters into a period of pain and suffering. And as that Christian continues to trust God through it, not perfectly, none of us do it perfectly, but as we choose to come back time and time again, believing that the Lord is with us, that he's fair, that he's right, that he has not turned his back on us, then the result of that is as we get out the other side of the pain, as we look back then, we can see God took care of me. God saw me through that. He never left me. He did not forsake me. And I know that the next time I enter into a time of adversity, he will be there with me again. Do you see what persistence is uh, that we keep trusting the Lord and the Lord changes the people that we are. 
If you are going to change as a Christian, it will be through your pain more than your ease. Now, if we could go on in the passage. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. In other words, uh, it doesn't happen just once. We've got to continue to trust the Lord. We've got to believe that he's with us in the midst of our trials. And as we do that, as uh, steadfastness begins to shape who we are, some things begin to change in our lives. Some things that we want, some things that are healthy for us. One is, it says, that you may be perfect. Perfect. What is that? It's not what you're thinking. Uh, Perfect doesn't mean sinless perfection. Uh, You aren't going to be perfect and I'm not going to be perfect. Our children are not going to be perfect. Now, my grandchildren, I have six of them, they're perfect. But for the rest of us, you know, for for life, no, uh, we're not going to be perfect people. But this isn't talking about that kind of perfection. It's talking instead about, uh, well, our word maturity, growing up. You see, when you came to Christ, you were a baby in Christ, a newborn babe in Christ. What can a human baby do? Cry, eat, and, well, you know the other thing. That's what they can do. That's it. They don't know how to walk. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to feed themselves. They don't know that they've got to be taken care of. Now, when you come to Christ, you enter a time of spiritual infancy. And you need to continue to grow then. And you grow as you learn to trust the Lord, as you read his word, as you pray, as you serve him. All of these things help you grow in Christ. Now, as you grow, you become a child. A child is not an infant. A child is able to walk and to feed himself or herself. Able to do certain things, but they're still immature and still have to be taken care of. And you enter into adolescence. Adolescence is a wonderful time for adolescent people people. Uh, they, they are, thank you. Uh, it's, it is a wonderful time, but it's also a time of wanting the privileges of adulthood while clinging to some of the characteristics of their age. And then adulthood is next. Maturity. And what is that like? This is the quality of not only having a ripened faith in which you know that you can count on God, but you care for others. You see, the church is in desperate need of mature believers. But now here's the problem. The problem is that you can become a Christian, you can grow into childhood, and you can stay there for the rest of your life. You may have known the Lord for 25, 30, 40, 50 years and still be a child. And when a 
spiritual child remains a child like that, they become childish. And that's a tragedy. But what we have here is the Lord is telling us through the half-brother of Jesus, James, he's telling us that as we go through times in which we're really disappointed, somebody has really hurt us, we have been rejected by a friend, someone has lied about us, we're in pain physically, whatever it might be, we have been rejected at the job, fired from our work, a spouse has left us, or we're suffering with the death of a loved one. Whatever that might be, as we continue to trust God, not running from him, not blaming him, but trusting him, the result is he begins to change the nature of our faith so that we are steadfast in our faith, trusting him, continuing to trust him day by day, and that then begins to change the kind of people we are, and we begin finally to mature, to grow up in Christ. I remember so well my mother saying, grow up. Just grow up. I hated that when she would say that. But, you know, that's what we need to do. We need, as believers, to grow up so we can take care for other, of others. All right, the next word that's used here is that we might be perfect and complete. We lived in a particular home and uh, we wanted for the television to be in a built-in cabinet, but there was no built-in cabinet there. So we hired a, a, a carpenter and the carpenter came out and he measured the size of the television, he measured the wall and uh, began, after he drew up his plans, began to uh, sketch an outline on, on the wall. He cut into the wall, he removed boards, he put some kind of, uh, of structure around it so it wouldn't fall apart. You can see how much I know about building. And, but he built this, this cabinet, and when we slipped that television in, then that cabinet was exactly what we needed. The word here is complete. The idea here is that you... Are, you have entered into that season of your life in which you as a believer are being used by God in the way that you have been created to be. And by the way, you will never find fulfillment as a Christian apart from service. That God has created you in a way to serve him and others, and it will be as he's changing you that you become complete. The last word, there's just one word. Uh, In English, there is uh, several words, but in in the Greek, there's one, and that is lacking in nothing. Uh, As Luke mentioned, I'm uh, an avid student of uh, the Greek of the New Testament, Why? I'm not sure, but uh, I just love that. And when I began to look at that word, I I recognized I'd never seen it before. 
uh, and I've spent a lifetime studying the language, and I've never seen that word before. So I had to begin to look it up in a series of what's called a lexicon, a, a, a Greek dictionary of, of words. And as I did, I recognized that the basic idea of this word is you stop running because something's hard. You stop running away because it's hard. You stop running away from marriage because it's hard. You stop running away from church because it's a hard time. You stop running from the difficulties, but instead you're facing them. How can you face these difficulties? It is because you are trusting God with the pain in your life. Let me recount that. I could summarize it like this. There will be pain that will come into our lives for all of us as long as we live. We can curse the pain or we can believe that God is both sovereign and loving even in this and that he is able to meet our needs in the midst of it. And we can trust him to show us the way through. And he will not leave us. He will not forsake us. We will continue to trust him. And we become steadfast and mature and complete and stop running away from things because they're hard, but instead trust him in them. And the result then is the Christian life that you read about in your New Testament becomes a reality to you. Not perfectly, not immediately, but gradually it becomes reality and you become the church then that God wants you to be. Let me pray. And let me ask the Lord to help you deal with the pain, the struggle, the disappointment that you may be facing. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We know that it is indeed true. And Lord, in a way, I bring this passage with an understanding that for some, what I have just said may have been even been offensive. They may say it's easy for you to say it, but you don't know how bad I'm hurt. I pray, Father, that you would open the eyes of their heart and they might see that their hope is in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.